Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this great day. Thank you for this amazing song, for this wonderful family that you have brought to us. Lord, we would not trade these three and a half years. We thank you for these years of ministry together. We thank you, God, for how you have worked in our lives and the Hightower's lives and Lord, just for the the joy of serving together. And we pray, God, that you, who so graciously brought them to us, would carry them on eagles' wings to Iowa. And that there, Lord, you would plant their lives and they would bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. We pray, Lord, that you will use them to disciple students so that they will learn to sing. And they will learn to sing for you. And they will learn what it means to be loved by those who lead them and what it means to love. God bless the high towers as they go and thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, what a song. What a beautiful, beautiful moment of worship we have shared together. It's great to be back with you. I've been away. I was at camp this week and uh, it occurred to me this morning when I awakened that the Lord did not make any utterly useless creatures, but chiggers come mighty close. Some of our students first encountered chiggers this week. They had never been through that. I empathize, sympathize with them. I remember the first time I, I got chiggers and uh, I, thought, I thought I needed to go to the emergency room. I, I was in such a uh, such an ordeal. And then Jerome, who is our sort of resident Calvinist, gave theological explanation. He said, students, God made chiggers and do not resent them because they are just doing what they were made to do. And I thought to myself, now that's theologically accurate, but not very satisfying. Why did God make chiggers? Why do we suffer hardship in life? And just as I, I, uh, thought about the the student's pain. Sometime in the wee hours of this morning, I felt a subtle itch on my leg, and I realized that I would get to share their pain with them. How do we deal with difficulty? I asked that question because we've been thinking about making disciples together in our homes, and there is no discipleship without discipline as One little first grade boy named Ryan learned the first day he went to school. He had been in one of those kindergartens that only went half day. And on his first day of school, somebody failed to tell him after uh, they finished the morning session. He began to pack up his things, preparing to go home. All the other students headed to the cafeteria. His teacher said, Ryan, what are you doing? He said, I'm packing up. I'm ready to go home. She said, oh no, you don't get to go home. He looked at her in disbelief. She said, no, you go and eat lunch. And then you come back and you work some more. He looked at her as though it were some sort of ruse and then realized she was speaking the truth. And he put his hands on his hips and he said to her, who on earth signed me up for this? (laughs) Can't blame little Ryan. Life has its uh, unsatisfactory surprises along the way. And maybe some point in the Christian life you have read what Jesus said Not seven times, but 70 times seven, you must forgive others. You've heard Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You've read about the Apostle Paul's thorn in the flesh and you have wondered, who on earth signed me up for this? The answer to our question is in the the change of the question. It's not who 
on earth, but who in heaven signed us up for this? The discipline of discipleship. Would you open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12? We were just there a few weeks ago. And uh, we looked at that great cloud of witnesses and how we lay aside every weight and every sin that hinders us and entangles us so that we can run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Remember that and we consider him who endured such opposition so we'll not grow weary and lose heart. We pick up in verse 4. Would you stand with me? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. The writer of Hebrews says, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. You may be seated. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that we want to be a part of that great cloud of witnesses. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we don't grow weary, so that we don't lose heart. Remember, he's writing to first century believers, not believers in Judea where Jesus lived and ministered, not in Galilee, but somewhere removed from there. We know that because he says, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. There's no blood. There's no, you've no, nobody's dying, he says. And you, you are learning what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ. Remember, he says, and he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Remember, he says, that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that God will use hardship in your life to show you that he loves you and he will teach you through that and produce in you a bountiful harvest of holiness and righteousness and peace. And because he will, he says, don't grow weary, don't lose heart. But instead of resenting the Lord's discipline, receive that discipline, embrace that discipline because God is training you here for all that he has for you there. It is an important word for us as a church because some of us have not just been through the kindergarten of suffering. We're not just in elementary school, but some of you would say, just today I've received a graduate degree 
in the discipline of suffering. You know what it's like to hurt. We don't get to choose, do we? We really don't get to choose the difficulties that we will encounter in this life. But we do, the writer of Hebrews says, we do get to choose the way we respond to those difficulties in our lives. I'm thinking about the World Cup and that French team and that coach who disciplined one of the players and the player said, I will not submit to your discipline. I will not apologize. And I don't know that the, the coach may be an ogre for all that I know. But I know in this culture of celebrities and celebrity athletes and people who feel like we're celebrities, it's hard to let anybody discipline us. I think of a minister some years ago who made a tragic mistake and his denomination said, we're going to redeem your life, we're going to redeem your ministry, but you must leave the pulpit for a period of years until your heart is right, until God has healed you and restored you completely, and you will have a marvelous ministry if you will submit to our discipline. But that minister said, no, I'm bigger than the denomination. I don't have to submit to your discipline. And his life and ministry, sadly and tragically, have not been a story of great success and redemption, but of continued pain because he refused to receive discipline. Am I going out on a limb when I say to you that without discipline, there is no discipleship? If we are not trained by the tragedies of our lives, if we are not formed by them and conformed to the image of Christ, then we will not grow. We will not become like Jesus. I've said it before. I'll say it again. To take a person like me and make me into the image of Christ, it takes a great deal of transformation. And only our God can do that work. And He uses everything in our lives The good and the bad, the blessings and the blights. He brings it all together and synergizes it for the good of making us like Jesus Christ. And when I look across this congregation, I see people who have endured great pain and who by every day standing up and walking out the door and living for Christ bear witness to the fact that God can redeem our pain. He can use the hardest things in our lives, things we never would have chosen, things we could never get through on our own. He will use those things to demonstrate a couple of things the writer of Hebrews says. The first is that the the discipline of the Lord proves to us that God loves us and presumes that we are His children. The second, that the discipline of God produces within us a harvest of all the things that God wants for our lives. Let me just be clear about something this morning you say, but, but this difficulty I'm going through, this is not God's punishment in my life. And I would agree with you, and I don't want you to hear me saying this morning, every bad thing you go through, that's God's punishment in your life. Absolutely not. But what the writer of Hebrews says is, whatever happens to you, treat that as an opportunity to learn and to grow. Endure that as though we had any other choice. Endure that hardship as though it were God's lesson of teaching you and changing you to make you like Jesus Christ. And when we view it that way, what we discover is the reason why God can use the pain in my life and your life and the struggles and the difficulties is 
because he is treating us as his children, as a father would treat a son. And what he's teaching us is that he loves us. And so he points to that quote from Proverbs chapter three, the Lord disciplines those he loves. Did you know the Lord does not discipline other people's children? Only his own. All of us endure difficulty. The rain falls on the good and the bad. So do the chiggers, by the way, crawl on the good and the bad. But only those whom the Lord loves experience the glory of being redeemed in and through that pain. God works in our lives so we can endure hardship as discipline because he is showing us that we are his children and that he loves us. John Perkins is a a great prophet in the southeast of our country, a a preacher, a a minister who cares for people greatly. He He has written a book called Let Justice roll down and it's a a beautiful book and in it he describes something of his own story how he only saw his father a few times in his life and how as he uh, encountered his father on one day he wanted to follow his father who was just drifting through town somebody told him this man was his father so he decided to follow his father his father was walking down the railroad track and his father said to him no you go back to your aunt And he didn't want to, and he was crying, he said, and he followed his father. And finally he said, my father turned around and whipped me one last time and and pointed me to my aunt, and I ran to my aunt, and my father walked down that railroad track. And then he makes this amazing statement in the midst of that dark story. When my father punished me and whipped me, even though he was not right in doing that, he was admitting something, that he had something to do with me that we were related in some way, that he was my father. Now, the writer of Hebrews does not make an argument and the heavenly father is just like we earthly parents are. That's not the argument he makes. What he says is, if we earthly parents ever, ever in a once, every once in a while ever get discipline right, how much more does our heavenly father always get it Right, He loves us and he disciplines us. And if we never experience the the chastisement of God, if we never experience his uh, work in our lives, in in several ways we see it in the scriptures, sometimes it's corrective. Think about David and Bathsheba and how God's corrective discipline turned David's life back so that he became a man after God's own heart. Think Think about the Apostle Paul and the preventive discipline of God in his life, a thorn in the flesh. Remember? Remember three times he said, remove this thorn from me. And three times God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he embraced the Father's discipline and said, so I will glory in my weaknesses. I will delight in my hardships because God's strength is perfected in my weakness when I am weak. God is very strong Just this week, Jerome and I were talking about a young friend of ours who's in ministry, very promising, gifted young minister who finds himself at the moment, as the Germans would say, Stadt an Los, without a city. He's without a ministry, without a church right now, but incredibly, incredibly gifted. And Jerome said to me, think back about all the ministers you've ever known who ever were used by God to do something great, and almost every one of them has a story like this young man's story. Almost everyone, Swindoll says, God will never use a person greatly 
until he has hurt that person deeply. And in the life of David, we see this embracing of God's discipline in Paul's life for preventive purposes, in Job's life for educational purposes, and eventually Job will say, the Lord gave. Don't forget that the good gifts we have in this life came from the Lord. Every one of them, every good and perfect gift, James says, the Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Believe me when I say I believe in the God of miracles. I believe in the God who can and does heal us. I believe that God often takes away our difficulties. And I believe there are times when God says, No, at this moment we're going to wait a while and you're going to remain under that difficulty. But don't worry because while you're there, I will work. God God's discipline in our lives presumes his love for us. It it proves that we are his children. God's discipline through the difficulties of our lives also produces a harvest in our lives, a harvest of righteousness. As a boy over in Germany growing up, I had to choose a football team. You know, I had to choose some team. I was from Texas, and Tom Landry was a Christian, and he was sort of a hero to me. And he used to say, the coach's job is to get the, stu- get the, the, the players to do things they would never want to do so that they can become who they've always wanted to be. This is the work of a parent, sometimes saying to our kids, I'm not going to catch you this time when you fall. I have a friend who, who says his, his uh, theory on discipline is when a child reaches out for a hot stove, he doesn't want them to be consumed by the fire. But he said if they ever touch that stove, they will never touch it again. There are moments in our lives when we as parents have to be tough enough to say to our kids, no. I'm not going to rescue you. I think about Tim Kimmel's story about the young man who was going through such a hard time and he robbed a jewelry store and and, uh, Tim had been counseling this young man and the young man robbed a jewelry store and the parents said, you know what, We'll, we'll, uh, we'll fix this. We'll fix this problem. They paid off the jewelry store owner, made a $10,000 purchase and everything was okay. And then there came a point, though, when that young man, through discipline, his life was transformed. And Tim Kimmel says, I have a picture of this young man on my desk, a trophy of God's grace, who in the end became a a fighter pilot, graduated from the Air Force Academy. But it was only after learning discipline that that work was completed in his life. This is what he says about our earthly parents, that we discipline for a while it's a for a short season and we do it as we think best and we're not always best at it can we just confess uh, we're not as as great at this as we wish we were and it's painful it's temporary it's reasonable it's the best we can think of it's painful for us and for our kids but he says the thing about God's discipline is that he does it for our good so that we can experience life that's the word he uses so that we can share in his holiness because people don't just drift toward holiness that's not our natural bent but without holiness verse 14 says we will never see God and God produces this harvest of righteousness and peace for whom for those who have been trained by it there's a little girl named Emily and she was listening to a a sermon her mom was listening to about training up a child in the way the child should go and little Emily looked up at her mother and said are you and dad trying to train me and uh Her mom said, yes, we are trying to. And the little girl mumbled under her breath as she walked away. We'll see about that. (laughs) Well, 
We can either resent the training or we can receive the training. But if we receive it, he says, God will work in our lives to produce this harvest of of righteousness, of peace. And by the way, peace is not just quietness. Peace is wholeness. God is trying to make us whole. And so he strengthens our feeble arms and our weak knees. And yesterday evening, Melanie and I and uh, Chase and Casey went over to Austin to do a wedding for a, a, a couple of kids who were second graders when I moved here from, uh, from Austin. That, that tells something about how I've aged in these years. And, and I looked at these kids who were Graham's peers in school and they were getting married. And, and I said, when I left you, you were just second graders and something happened. You, you fell in love along the way. They started dating when they were in the eighth grade and, and uh, never dated anybody else. And now seven years later, they're getting married. And, and I was just talking to these kids and I was looking out across this congregation And I remembered the stories. You know, behind every life, there's a story. And I remembered the stories of the people who were there. Here was Denisa who overcame cancer while we were there. And uh, then just a few years ago, while we were here, her, her oldest son, we received the news, had been killed in an accident. And and just the pain that this lady has endured. And then looking at her and talking to her afterward, and realizing how very Christ-like she has become. She would not have chosen her life story, and yet God has worked through that, and worked through her and her husband Randy in amazing ways to discipline and work in the lives of other people. God has worked in their lives through their pain, and their pain has become a testimony. And God's purpose is not that we would be disabled by our pain. That's what Verse 13 says, but rather that in time, as we are conformed to God's Son, as we are trained by the tragedies of life, that we ourselves would be healed, that we would be made whole. On one of the days at camp, we wanted to show the kids. We could have preached about the cross, but we wanted to show them that experience. And so we allowed them to climb a mountain, perhaps the terrain out there not so different from the terrain of Israel, maybe not unlike the hill called Golgotha that Jesus walked up, the place of the skull. And as we were walking up, we were creaking and complaining and and worrying and grieving over the hot sun overhead and the pain of climbing up the mountain. And we got to the top of the mountain and we watched the crucifixion. And as we were walking down the mountain, I ran into, just at the top there, a young man named Chris. And I remembered what he had been doing all morning. How that when my alarm clock went off in the morning, when Tim Gilmore came by singing, uh, I fell into a burning ring of French toast and sang that to wake me up that morning, that, that already my friend Chris was out running that morning. That when we were eating breakfast, he was running. When we were getting ready for the worship service, he was running. When we were climbing the hill, he was still running. By that time, he had been running for four hours. He ran 26.2 miles that morning. He ran a marathon. He's training for a 100-mile run over in Colorado. And when I was about to walk down that hill, he had just made the ascent. He had finished his marathon running up that steep hill. He was not out of breath. He was standing there very calmly. And I said to him, so how was your run? And he said, this was a great way to finish the run. Seeing a picture of my Lord crucified on the cross. He said, I will remember this marathon. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We run a race. And there is one who has gone before us. 
And he didn't grow tired, even though people opposed him and he faced great difficulty. And he found the grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, to finish strong, to be crucified and to rise again on the third day. And he is our inspiration. I invite you this morning to place your trust in him. Because as the psalmist said, he who goes forth with seed, weeping, sowing the seed, will return rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves of holiness and righteousness and peace. May God grant it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your great grace in our lives. Lord, help us, I pray, to become the people you want us to be. We thank you in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen.